Hello, everyone. This is Gary Bean welcoming you to the LL Research Law of One podcast, episode number 86. LL Research is a nonprofit organization dedicated to freely sharing spiritually oriented information and fostering community. And towards this end, has two websites the archive website, llresearch.org, and the community website, bringforth.org. Today, I am joined by Jim McCarty, Austin Bridges, and a very special guest, Joseph Dartes. In this podcast, we discuss spiritual topics through the lens of the law of one and our own personal experiences. We hope to offer only a resource and provide discussion, not to present ourselves as authority with the final word on these subjects. Please exercise your utmost discernment while you listen to us ramble on on these topics. Uh, Many of the topics we discuss on this podcast come from questions sent in by seekers like you. If you have a question or a topic you'd like for us to discuss, please send it in. You can email them to contact at llresearch.org or go to llresearch.org slash podcast for further instructions. Again, I'm Gary Bean, and this is the LL Research Law of One podcast. Uh, Jim, Austin, Joseph, everybody on board and ready to go? Definitely. I'm ready. All right. I said that a little prematurely. (laughs) (laughs) Seth's here too. So speaking of Seth, let me uh, introduce him. Joseph Dartes is a dear friend of ours and a spiritual seeker who we admire. His uh, depth of research and insight into the law of one has been very illuminating to our own paths. Um, He's a ardent student of the material, and in particular, I appreciate his work on the archetypes, which has taught me more on that subject than any other source. Unfortunately, he let us rope him, let us rope him into joining us today. Um, 2019, we had three podcasts, and uh, so we're trying to get back into the swing of things, particularly with more guests including we're going to make an effort to get female voices on here. And this is the first podcast of the 2020 new year. And the topic this year, or for this podcast rather, is on conspiracy theory. That is a, is a subject and a facet of human experience that has um, probably been with humanity since the beginning. I would imagine it's a shadow that has accompanied and maybe even motivated major events in history. But it seems never to, or it seems now to have an impact greater than it ever has before. It seems very present in our society and our, our politics and in our relationships. And uh, our friend Joseph has spent some time thinking about this subject. So we're going to dive in to conspiracy theory. Starting with the question for the group. So what is conspiracy theory and where from do we think that it arises? Uh, How about Jim? Do you want to lead us off with that one? Well, I would say that in my opinion, uh, conspiracies are part of the human nature where we seem to get together with those around us to try to realize certain goals, whether we're kids in a family trying to figure out how to go where my or mom and dad don't want us to go or stay out later than we should, or the mom and dad wants to try to get us to do our chores or do our homework 
or the teachers want the students to do certain things or students don't want to do them or employers and employees and it just keeps on going. So I think there's kind of a base for this possibility of colluding with other people and trying to realize some goals. And I think part of it really does come from the fact that we live in an illusion where we don't see that all is one and that everything we need is prepared for us, that uh, we don't have to uh, go out and uh, battle the outside world to get the money we need to support our family and all of that. If we have a spiritual path that shows us that if we seek first the kingdom of heaven, all else will be added unto us. As it says in the Bible, I think various philosophies and mystical practices have basically the same thing to say. So I think what we're doing is trying to discover a way out of the illusion. And as far as conspiracies go, I think there are entities of uh, what Rob would call a negatively oriented nature that would like to keep us right here, uh, blinded and controlled so that we don't see there's more to this life than what we think there is. And in that way, they can make um, certain inroads into the mass consciousness of the planet, especially by the introduction of things like money, um, that said that the want of money is the root of all evil. And so we are in a situation where we don't have unlimited money, unlimited supplies, unlimited benefits and willing and able to go out and do whatever we wish. We gotta go out in the workaday world and play the game, get some money, support our family, and try to get some position in the, in the community. So I think there's a lot of things that go into it, being in the illusion, number one, negatively oriented entities that would like to benefit from our ignorance and um, make us part of their empire. Maybe I'll jump in here. If that's, are you finished, Jim? Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so I like that, that Jim started with a general concept of what a conspiracy is. Um, I think in talking about conspiracy theories, especially um, as it relates to walking the spiritual path, um, it's, in my mind, important to carve out a very speci a specific concept of conspiracy because usually what we're talking about is something pretty specific, even though the word conspiracy... Is, uh, has some pretty general reference. Um, so I, I wrote out a, a definition. Let's, let's see if it's, it's not too technical, but I'm just going to go ahead and, and say this definition. So the kind of conspiracy I think we're getting at is something like the conscious effort on behalf of powerful groups and individuals in our world to uh, consolidate, maintain, and increase their power, and also to hide this effort from the rest of the world leaving normal people, presumably like us, uh, under the illusion that our societies are governed and operate in the ways the media tells us they are. So um, it has all the elements of a general conspiracy, but there's the, the specific import here is that it's um, large-scale um, run by, you know, according to the, to the, the concept of, con of a conspiracy, the ones who conspire... Um, have more power than you, generally, whoever you are, uh, and they want to hide it from you. Um, so then a conspiracy theory is a, a story that explains um, how and why the world is run this way. Um, and this theory usually departs from, almost always, 
departs from the general narrative or the, the mainstream narrative that we hear from media sources um, and, and even like teachers at school. Interestingly also, um, in our history, some conspiracy theories have turned out to be conspiracy fact. Uh, so for example, um, the, the Red Scare uh, back in the, um, during the Cold War led the U.S. to do a lot of unsavory things in South America. Um, and we still don't talk about this very much, either in school or in the media. Um, so there's one that there's enough evidence to say, well, that's prob that's a fact. Um, and yet it's, it has a similar feel to the kinds of conspiracy theories that um, spiritual seekers end up involved in. I really like the aspect that you bring up about how it always involves people who just innately have more power than the person who is examining the conspiracy theory. Uh, in my mind, the way conspiracy has, you know, uh, developed in my path was it was sort of like the tool that broke down the barriers that um, not everything that I was told growing up was necessarily true. And like once you get that inroad, once there is this idea that the truth is different from the you know uh, general narrative, then the doors seem to be wide open, and there's so much interpretation that can happen. And I think um, a, a big aspect of what is a conspiracy uh, to me is it's a lot of dot connecting, a lot of uh, pattern finding, and I really don't like it when the idea that humans are um, apt to find patterns where there are none is used to excuse, you know, conspiracy theories or um, just generally excuse people finding patterns. Because I do think that there are some patterns in our universe that um, point to pretty large truths, both spiritual and practical. But I do also think that that capacity to find patterns where there are none tends to display itself pretty heavily in conspiracy theory community. So uh, I generally describe conspiracy theory as um, connecting the dots and finding certain patterns when we don't really have all the information. We do sort of know that things aren't as we were told, and we do know that there's maybe something going on in this realm that we're trying to figure out. But then some people decide to go from there and decide that um, th these dots connect very clearly. And it creates a very coherent theory about how some group or uh, a cabal <laughs> is removing our power, <laughs> trying to do something to us, something like that. And, um, uh, what was the other part of the question? What is a conspiracy theory? Where from does it arise? Uh, I, I guess the, the sort of pattern finding and just the need to um, <laughs> figure out what's going on. Because a big part of it for me was realizing that what I was told growing up wasn't really the reality of the situation. Like we are uh, sort of indoctrinated, whether in, mm. intentionally or unintentionally. And I think mostly unintentionally when we grow up. And so that discovery that um, there's a lot more to it, I think, leads to a sort of hunger to figure out the truth, and that can sort of, the pendulum can swing in the other direction. Can I riff on what, what Austin just said for just a moment? Yeah, of course. Um, this is um, per the where from does it arise question. 
So one thing that I think explains um, a lot of the motivation toward uh, fascination with conspiracy theories, uh, even the outlandish ones, is that um, when we go through school, it's not just that uh, we aren't told about these outlandish conspiracy theories. It's that the history we're given of um, our nation is one that really paints the nation in uh, a rosy light in ways that are easy to demonstrate once you're no longer um, being instructed that way. So, for example, um, probably most people who've gone through the education system in the United States had the history of slavery kind of um, uh, washed, I guess, a little bit, or maybe that's not the word I'm looking for, but made to seem not so bad. Um, and other various atrocities just you know, kind of swept under the rug. Like, for example, um, in my Catholic school days, the Crusades were portrayed as just wars, <laughs> and so on. Um, so I think that when we come out of the education system that we have, we hunger for something that's, that's true, um, and this can lead us to uh, lending credence to stories that might otherwise seem outrageous because in school, these stories were treated as outrageous, the stories that are actually true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like if they were willing to lie to me about that, what else were they willing to lie to me about to like cover up the atrocities that they've committed? This ambiguous they, whoever they are that have power. Yeah, credibility loops are a part of the feeding mechanism of conspiracy theories, I think. Once that credibility is damaged, once the, the government or institution or power that be is proven to be lying, then other uh, truth claims that they make come into question as well. Um, thanks, uh, Jim, Joseph, and Austin. I'll add my contribution to this question and say that um, conspiracy theories seem a natural outgrowth of our particular veiled environment wherein we have access to so little information. Um, we are cut off from our own deep minds that have a much wider scope of understanding. So our information then is, or rather, we are reliant for our information upon others others in our group, whether that's a national or global or tribal group. And the, our group truths aren't very holistic truths. They tend to be authored or uh, mediated by power brokers <clears throat> or the loudest voices, as it were. So uh, we have not found a way to represent truth that is is a collective voice, really. We have these partial truths, which further uh, creates the environment within which conspiracies may bloom. And then, of course, we're on a mixed polarity planet where most uh, people do have not made the choice. So intentions are hidden from one another. And in this uh, particular ratio of polarity, uh, the negative, specifically, is intentionally seeking to um, hide their intentions and create uh, agendas behind closed doors and present them as something other than they are. Uh, Austin or, and Joseph mentioned um, 
that conspiracy theories seem to be focused on the powerful. But I would also add, too, that um, conspiracists can be those without power, too. Um, and the connecting dot of the uh, the dot connecting activity of conspiracy theorists uh, can also be incoherent <laughs> um, though they, they may feel it gives a more coherent worldview and then um, finally I wanted to add uh, a reading from Charles Eisenstein's The More Beautiful World Our Hearts Know Is Possible on the question of where from does it arise because I think he speaks really effectively to part of the psychological mindset that gives birth to the conspiracy theory that has a, a um, that arises from a, a true need and a true calling, but um, diverts its energy in the form of conspiracy theory. So, and this dovetails into our next question. Uh, in chapter four, titled "Cynicism," uh, Eisenstein writes. Equally paralyzing is the belief that a nefarious, evil cabal controls the world. Why try to create anything when meaningful change will be crushed by an all-seeing diabolical power? I've dabbled in these theories, which bring me into a heavy, burdened state that feels like I'm suffocating in a pool of molasses. Yet I am told I am naive and impractical to deny it. If only I would open my eyes and see. Nonetheless, these conspiracy theories do express a psychological truth. They give voice to a feeling of helplessness and rage, the primal indignation of being cast into a world ruled by institutions and ideologies that are inimical to human well-being. The, quote, evil cabal also represents a shadow aspect of ourselves, driven to dominate and control an inevitable outgrowth of the separate self in an indifferent or hostile universe. The endless drive to prove conspiracy theories is a kind of protest. It says... Please believe me, it isn't supposed to be this way. Something awful has taken over the world. That, <clears throat> end quote, that something, Eisenstein concludes, is the story of separation and all that arises from it. So um, I'm going to move on to the next question, but check in. Does anybody else want to riff on that first one? No. All right. So. Question to the group. Uh, how about um, Joseph? We'll start with you in this one. Are there any dangers in immersing oneself in conspiracy theory? What impacts, relatedly, what impacts have we observed, whether to individuals or communities? All right, so I have a lot to say about this one. Um, <laughs> If you want to reconsider starting with me, now's a good time to do that. Uh, Jim tends to be the shortest between us. Jim, did you you want to wait till after Seth goes, or you wanted to want to share yours? Um, yeah, sure. Uh, the dangers of uh, immersing oneself in conspiracy theories. Back when I was doing all of this stuff and was really into it, about forty years ago. I discovered that it was taking time away from my spiritual path, that it wasn't really part of the path, that it was um, almost like I was being led down a trail to be taken away from my spiritual path. And that is what eventually got me to um, rethink uh, whether or not I wanted to invest any more time in these fantastic possibilities that various sources were revealing 
And um, I made the decision that I didn't want to do that anymore because I couldn't see any value to myself, number one, to know all of this. And then number two, if I shared it with others, I was doing the same thing to them that I felt I was doing to me, and that is taking them off their spiritual path. Because the spiritual path is a path, as far as I'm concerned, and the law of one is concerned, a path of unity, where we uh, see the creator in each other. And if we see failings anywhere, we try to uh, work them through, to accept them, to uh, resolve them if possible. And if we can't, then we realize that the creator is knowing itself in that situation in just the way it needs to. So I think that there's a danger of falling into a, a sand pit or a quicksand and um, going under and for no good reason. All right, Seth, you're up to bat. Thanks, Jim. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, thanks, Jim. That's uh, that, that, that actually wasn't really even one of the things on my list, but hearing you say that, I completely agree. Um, well... I, th I think that your quotation, uh, Gary, your quotation of um, Eisenstein captures perhaps the the first danger, um, which is to feel like that there's nothing you can do that can make this world a better place. Mm -hmm. And um, if in fact you are uh, attempting to polarize positive, that's one of the one of your primal motivations is to to somehow make the world, even if it's just the world around you, a little better. Um, but let's let's talk about uh, energy expenditure, and this is something that that Jim touched on. Um, but it's it's something that's that really I've been thinking about for a while. Uh, it's one of the major reasons I stopped uh, immersing myself in conspiracy theory. So if you imagine a normal day in your life, a normal day. Uh, it's a microcosm of the month, the month, a microcosm of the year, a year, a microcosm of your life. Now, of course, this is kind of imprecise uh, because transformations will change what a normal day looks like or what a normal year looks like and so on. But insofar as the energy we spend in the mind manifests in the world around us, then on any given normal day, uh, what preoccupies our minds um, is destined to become our roommates, so to speak. So what I found is that in my mind being preoccupied with all these nefarious figures and all the shady things they might be doing, uh, I was making them my roommates and I was expending all of my energy on, on these purportedly shady people. Um, so what I discovered is that I was, uh, generating the kind of mental and even physical environment that I didn't actually want to live in. Additionally, each action uh, powers the next action of a similar kind. So the more I would engage in uh, exploration of various conspiracy uh, stories connecting various dots, the more I would be motivated to do it some more since that's, uh, that's where the momentum was. Uh, so one danger is, as Jim suggested, or said, getting lost in the momentum that this sort of thing creates. Another danger that I've seen, um, and this is one that, that matters to me a lot, since I actually 
uh, teach this. Like, I'm, it's kind of my professional responsibility to teach students to have strong epistemic standards, uh, standards for what to believe, how strongly to believe, and when to consider what they believe knowledge. And I think that it's very common in conspiracy theory communities to have to engage with weak epistemic standards. Um, so the first feature of this phenomenon is that conspiracy theorists tend to exist in a communicative filter bubble, which is to say, they there's a, a natural sorting of the sort of the kind of people who engage in this kind of communication, and that sorting um, includes the ones who are inclined to believe that conspiracy theories are true and excludes the ones who are inclined to dissent. So this creates a, an environment where, um, an environment that activates um, confirmation bias, where what you're looking for is confirmation of a judgment and you're not looking for disconfirmation, which is just as informative and perhaps uh, even more important than confirmation uh, because it only takes one piece of disconfirmation to show that whatever it is you're you're asking about is false. Whereas for confirmation, it takes many pieces of evidence to actually um, to support the claim, whatever it is, strongly enough to call it knowledge. Another aspect of the weak epistemic standards we're dealing with is that usually in conspiracy theories, somebody is the villain, like a real person. Out in the world, they're the bad guy. And all the things that we're saying about this person, um, I mean, you can, there are plenty of examples out there. Um, but all, and all that we're saying about this person, if it's false, um, amounts to um, a defamation campaign. Now, I get that these people are usually powerful individuals and they'll be all right, despite the fact that you're dealing with all this defamation. But the point is, if you're the one engaging in defamation and your evidence, uh, the evidence on which you're relying to engage in this defamation is weak, um, then it starts to look like you're being a jerk to a stranger. <laughs> um, so there's, there's one problem, or I should say another problem. Uh, here's another aspect of the weak epistemic standards we're working with. So evidence for these grand stories about um, the nefarious things that shady actors are up to is hard to find. You may have noticed this. I've certainly noticed it. Um, you can find circumstantial evidence um, that uh, maybe suggests one of these stories is true, but real strong evidence that should... Um, should lead to a firm judgment is pretty difficult to find. Difficult enough that most of the time, in my experience, we rely on insiders. But the problem with relying on insiders is that these insiders, like if that's what you're doing, then the people who claim to be insiders are then motivated to, um, like there's a motivation to manipulate others and pretend to be an insider just for the attention that it gets you. So the trouble is that with insiders, we would need to vet them. But then there's a like a dual-stage vetting process where the insiders themselves have to vet their sources. Um, and so this makes – this leads to a situation where the people who are trusting the insiders are doubly removed 
from the information through um, relationships that depend on trust in a situation where people are motivated to manipulate. So it's very slippery ground, quicksand, like Jen called it. In general, um, this is what I teach my students. The strength of your belief should be proportional to the strength of your evidence. And for regular people like us, it's very difficult to find enough evidence to support a grand overarching story um, with specific characters as villains and so on. Usually the evidence um, is suggested at best. Um, which leads me to judge that for most of us, uh, our, the strength of our beliefs should be pretty low. Um, so I, I generally recommend to my students to be open to the possibility of uh, wild stories turning out to be true, um, but to be careful where, how, how committed you are to, their, to believing them. In general, I think in these kinds of situations, gaining enough evidence to be certain, or to at least call it knowledge, that some conspiracy is true requires a commitment to a career as an investigative journalist. And for most of us, that's just not, that's just not going to be our career. Um, the final thing I would say about epistemic standards is that, and this is something I see um, a lot of people questioning and, and it, it makes me a little uneasy to see it, but expert communities self-regulate. Um, and this applies to both science and to journalism. And what I mean by they self-regulate is that usually when it comes to a community, an expert community, there's a specific discipline that this community has. And they are the ones who are most dedicated, the people in this, the experts in this community, are the ones most dedicated to the integrity of the discipline. Uh, so scientists, for example, they, they generally become scientists because they want to know the way the world is. Journalists become journalists because they want to know what's really happening. So in some sense, we can trust them um, to self-regulate. That's not to say there aren't people in these disciplines who are corrupt. Um, but I do think the, that leading with the judgment of corruption in either sciences or journalism is a mistake because of the self-regulating tendency of expert communities. Why did you say it was um, a mistake? Leading with the judgment that the expert communities are um, are corrupt. Okay. okay so maybe thanks. some some members of them are corrupt, but in general, I think we should assume from the outset that they care about the integrity of their discipline more than anybody else. Yeah. And this this kind of partly comes from just the the gradual realization in my life that most people mean well. Now maybe maybe other people don't don't share that judgment. I don't know. Call me optimistic. <laughs> All right, I did want to talk about one more danger, but I can hold on to that uh, if other people want to talk, because I realize I've been going on for a while now. We could DJ it up a little bit, and uh, Austin could go next, and then if you uh, put your next thought on pause, uh, Joseph, and jump in after can do. Austin. Yeah, everything you said, Joseph, and you too, Jim, that was all really well put, and I guess, unfortunately, very in line with my own beliefs. We don't have a lot of dynamic tension to make this interesting because I can't argue with anything that you all said. Um, I'm a little less generous than you, Joseph, in um, uh, assessing the expert communities, but 
I don't know if that's a logical belief on my part. I just feel like corruption is, I don't know. But everything you said, um, I'm actually just going to touch on the points that you said because they're kind of right in line with my thinking. You talked about the expenditure of energy. And um, I heard uh, an analogy similar to what you were talking about. It's a very simple analogy, but I think it's a very powerful analogy. And that's treating the mind like a, a garden and every thought that you have is uh, a plant and the more you engage in that thought the more you're watering that plant and so we want to tend to our garden so that it grows into something that we enjoy being within and to continually engage in conspiratorial thinking even if you start down a true path where there is something really going on and you just are dedicated to figuring out the truth. Um, if you're not balancing that with more loving and uh, more measured logical thoughts, then your entire garden becomes a jungle of conspiracy. It just grows into this imposing, suffocating, uh, you know, mass of, of plants that um, it's hard to see anything through the conspiracies themselves and it becomes your entire world. And part of your question, Gary, was um, the effect that we've witnessed in others. And this is probably the most prominent that I've seen. And that's when I, I have seen friends and just people that I'm aware of, they start down the path of conspiracy theory, even if it's just a small aspect of what they do they continue to go down this road and it becomes more and more consuming of their thought processes. And while I see them saying and claiming that what they're doing is intended to be of service and to raise truth, bring awareness to these subjects, and what they're doing is really out of love and it's not supposed to be spreading fear, it's supposed to be spreading truth, I see them being continually put into a state of um, frightenedness. Like they, they seem like uh, animals that are uh, cornered and they kind of, uh, like you were saying, Joseph, um, uh, lash out or at least reject people who aren't in the same boat as they are. Because I think the more and more you believe that you have the truth and that you see the truth, uh, the more and more ignorant everybody else looks. And at a certain point, it was just a logical thought to start ignoring the people who are too lazy to learn the truth that you've learned. Um, so I think watering your garden and making sure that the <laughs> truth-seeking plants are measured and they don't um, consume the love-seeking plants and everything like that is important. Um, and you also talked about confirmation bias and how, you know, once you get into this loop and sort of surround yourself in the community of conspiracy theorists, you kind of seek information that just confirms your biases. And part of the issue with this and part of why it's so difficult to penetrate this topic is because um, there is a very um, valiant faction of debunkers on the other side who are caught in this same loop, who kind of make it their mission on earth to debunk conspiracy theories or other things that they would call bunk um you know everything that we believe in would fall into the realm of what most debunkers would consider bunk
there's this battle that emerges. And I think that is sort of uh, another part of the sort of empowering aspect that you talked about, Joseph. You sort of doubled down on your um, beliefs. And then there's this faction that rises to meet and try to dismantle your beliefs. And that just causes you to double down even more out of defensiveness because there are now these two factions, both of them within their bubbles, both of them really only seeking a confirmation bias without realizing that, and both of them painting each other as villains. And essentially what you have is a war. And something that Charles Eisenstein talks about a lot in this sort of separation thinking is that um, in wartime, pacifists are normally seen as even more dangerous than the enemy by both sides. And so if you try to insert at a certain point when these two factions are at the height of their war, you try to insert love and understanding and bring them back down, you become an enemy of everybody. Um, so I think that also is a part of the difficulty and part of the danger of becoming part of this world is you eventually get conscripted into the ranks of this uh, war that goes on. Um, and I'll leave it there to uh, pass it to you, Gary, if you have anything you want to contribute. Yeah, I do, but I want to um, pass the mic back to Joseph so you can, you want to, uh, would you like to continue your thought, Seth? Um, okay, sure. Um, so, Here's another thing that was on my mind. Um, I've talked about the whether we can actually know um, the truth of these conspiracy theories. And I think that in general, it's very difficult to say yes to that. Um, at best, the people who are investi like committed investigative journalists, like that's their career, or people who are insiders, they're the ones in position to know. Uh, everyone else, um, they just have more or less evidence um, and that evidence maybe allows them to have a weak belief in terms of justification but in my experience having done having spent a few years researching this stuff what I came out with was the judgment that you know maybe some of these things are true I don't know it's hard to say so I'm assuming that most people are in that kind of situation so let's say you're in that kind of situation the question is does immersion for me does immersion in um, just more conspiracy theory have any kind of spiritual benefit? And I suspect the answer is no. Um, and generally my thought is the things you'd be doing, um, even if all these conspiracies, like if you knew them to be false, are more or less the same as the things you'd be doing uh, in this particular state where the best you can say is that maybe they're true. So in the first place, um, Assuming Ra and Quo are correct, um, service to self individuals are going to stop incarnating. Maybe they already did. So the ones running the conspiracy are going to die off anyway. But let's say that that's not true. Let's say you don't buy that. <laughs> In the second place, um, with the fourth density positive social structures that we need to put in place are going to be intolerable to service to self individuals, the ones who would run conspiracies. So if, if we're looking at like positive effort that you could make to undermine conspiracy, these conspiratorial tendencies, it's roughly the same with or without the conspiracy theories being true. That is to say, we should, we should try to make, uh, try to form positively oriented communities, um, where transparency and good faith are the order of the day. 
and regardless, the service itself, individuals who might be conspiring would not want to be involved in such a thing, or at least they try to take it over. Um, but then you would still be able to see that they're not being transparent and so on. Anyway, um, additionally, <clears throat> you might think, so let's say that you're in this position where, you know, maybe these conspiracies are, are true. Someone might think that your responsibility is to spread awareness about this, this terrible truth about the world. But the trouble is that you're not actually in a position to know that it's true. Um, so spreading the word as if it is true is um, intellectually irresponsible unless you're an investigative journalist or a, an insider. So for most of us, it's probably irresponsible because we don't really know if it's true. Uh, and, and again, we could be defaming the villains. Um, finally, walking in faith entails that our actions need to be, and this is something Jim touched on, but walking in faith entails that our actions need to be motivated by the call of the Spirit. And in my experience, um, digging deep into conspiracies uh, motivates you to act on fear, but that just seems like the wrong reason for action on the spiritual path. Um, and finally, let's just assume that the worst conspiracies are true, right? And the world is going to and let's just assume that the world will die a fiery death. An apocalypse is imminent, and so on. But even then, our duty is to bring love, compassion, and trust to those around us. So if we as a society die a fiery death and polarize toward love while doing so, I mean, to me that sounds like a good outcome. <laughs> now, that's probably, you know, some would consider that outrageous, so that's, that's not like maybe a primary point, um, but it is how I see it. So my point here is, in general, I don't see how immersion in conspiracy theories would change your actions on the positive path. Even if that were an outrageous point, this is the Law of One podcast. So we're <laughs> attempting to see, to look at the world through the lens of the Law of One in this particular philosophy. And I find your uh, thought highly congruent with and supportive of that philosophy. Mm -hmm. One thing that the Confederation says so often is that love is often illogical and impractical, and that doesn't make it not worthy of being sought in every moment. Yeah, and regarding transparency and positive communities, it just made me, again, uh, circle back to the veil. And we live in an environment which is intentionally non-transparent. Most of our information and uh, understanding and ex uh, knowledge, experience, memory, so forth, is hidden from us. And the two polarities make use of that in different ways. The, the positive seeks intentionally to make things more transparent, more known, more visible, whereas the negative polarity seeks precisely the opposite, to maximize the lack of transparency and to hide in a cloak and to actively deceive, to ape even positive values, while meanwhile the actual intention is quite negative that seeks to control others. So um, in my own, I really appreciate all three of your all's contributions here. And uh, Seth, you remind me of the value of the need to slow down. <laughs> really appreciate your cadence there. Um, so, is it, what are the dangers of immersing oneself in conspiracy theory and what impacts have we observed? Uh, like Seth said early on, I, there are conspiracy facts, of course. These 
theories arise out of um, events that transpire. And I was going to mention what Seth mentioned in terms of the dedicated journalist. Uh, there are conspiracies that are worth uncovering, and they take considerable uh, discipline, effort, time, and, and a certain amount of integrity. But for most everybody else, for the armchair conspiracy theorists, even the one who spends tons and tons of their time uh, reading information on websites, um, though that, of course, is their, their expression of the creator, I see a low threshold of evidentiary standards, as Seth was putting it more philosophical terms, epistemic something. What did you Ep say, Seth? Epistemic standards. Epistemic standards, okay. <laughs> so there's another word there. Um, and with those uh, low thresholds, it becomes a constant, it seems, exercise of, uh, I want to say, chasing one's tail. You know, that which is forever out of reach, but you keep doing it and doing it and not realizing you're being circular. The, the, the realm of conspiracy, as I see it, is not only um, a realm where actual facts are undisclosed or unknown or murky, but where there is also active misinformation and disinformation. Uh, again, Seth was alluding to this with the uh, role of that insiders play. Uh, conspiracy theory... The, the realm therein is one that can be easily manipulated and taken advantage of by pumping a new stream of information into it. And surely the powers that be in any particular uh, scenario are benefited by uh, giving false information, uh, which further distorts and confuses and makes it nearly impossible for most of us to understand what's actually happening. And it would be one thing if this uh, human activity were contained to one event or one institution. But part of the danger of bringing these roommates into your head or allowing um, the garden to get so uh, weed infested, as both of your analogies have uh, aptly pointed or painted, <laughs> is that um, conspiracy theory then morphs nearly any world event or local or global and really cloudens, cloudens makes the eyes cloudy. Um, even it then becomes people on a, a societal stage with positive intentions or positive agendas then are misunderstood and distorted because of the the eyes of conspiracy theory and then real events that we need to understand in order to be a healthy society get uh, grossly misunderstood. For instance, the uh, Holocaust denial is a thing, is part of uh, conspiracy theory. And as, as um, generations, the generation that lived through that passes away and uh, it recedes further into the past, surely more people will deny it. And there's events, uh, mass shootings too, um, Sandy Hook in particular. Are, there are people who believe that those things don't, haven't happened, or they're the false flag operations, or, uh, you know, stage. And I've read of one father's account uh, who lost their, I really want to swear here, but who lost their child at uh, uh, the Sandy Hook shooting and um, has, has received hate from other people. 
who believe that he, he's a liar or an actor or something, and he um, has had to fight. He sued one particular uh, radio program host for defamation in that case. But it just shows how what uh, corrupting an influence conspiracy theory can be for those who sp spend too much time in that realm. Again, some conspiracies are, are worth uncovering. If there's a pollution of the nearby water or if the, the um, you know, governments do stage false flag operations, it was part of what uh, Nazi Germany did and as a pretext for their own um, imperial ambitions. America's done it too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, um, our own country has exercised those um, imperial prerogatives as well. And it's definitely worth uncovering, but I'm talking about the, the general masses spending a, a lot of time um, in these realms. So it, I think it, it has, it tends to have a corrupting influence that distorts the ability to make sense of the world and what's happening in, in a world that it's already difficult enough to make sense in. And, and finally, it can be very disempowering to the individual because when you believe that your world and all its uh, legal and political and economic and societal arrangements is uh, dangling from the end of puppet strings, then you're you're a disempowered uh, tool and agent who's uh, at the mercy of or victim to forces bigger than yourself. You're in the matrix, and um, that is a a position of fear that will, of necessity, close the heart and de polarize the self and create a wall um, against what the positive soul truly wants to do here, which is to be vulnerable and open the heart in love and in, uh, as Jim was describing, a faith in the creator. So anyway, that's the end of my riff on why is it dangerous? Uh, any other thoughts on the danger of conspiracy theory? I have something I'd like to add that I think is important to add at this point. As, since you brought up specific conspiracy theories, I think it's important to acknowledge that we know what podcast we're on right now. This is a Law of One podcast. In order to believe that the Law of One was is legitimate, that the information within the Law of One is true, there are many conspiracies you have to believe are true. Uh, the primary one being a UFO cover-up by the government. Um, you have to believe that UFOs are real, and that, as Ross said, the government knows about them and is utilizing their technology, things like that. So it kind of sounds like, uh, I think, to a listener that um, all of us are pretty anti-conspiracy theorists, that um, we don't believe in conspiracy theories. And I think what we're talking about is a lot more about the relationship to conspiracy theory rather than conspiracy theories themselves. Um, and then... There were two things, two notes that are very brief related to what Seth said and something you said, Gary, um, that I forgot to bring up earlier. Seth talked about how conspiracy tends to force us to make villains of people. And I think a danger in that is that then we start to lose sight of these systemic issues that do need addressed, that maybe even 
the conspiracy is pointing to something that really does need addressed within our system, but then the villains take precedent over what could be changed within the system. <clears throat> if you we just create a system in which that sort of thing doesn't uh, have power, then uh, the people, the actual conspirators, really wouldn't matter that much. And the other one that I just want to highlight that Gary said, which is sort of this ironic twist on conspiracy theories, is I've always had the opinion that the powers that be that are in control and want to control populations are probably delighted by the conspiracy theory community that's online because of how much disinformation and how low the epistemic standards are so that they can hide what is actually happening. Um, probably things that are as fantastical as some of the conspiracy theories, but a lot of them probably not as fantastical as what conspiracy theories tend to depict. Um, they can hide behind that uh, community because then anybody who even catches wind of the truth of what is going on can be uh, lopped in with the rest of the conspiracy theorists. And it's easy to dismiss something that's true when you have a community that is so beholden to these, uh, I really like the term, low epistemic standards. Those are my final thoughts. Guys ready for the next round? Yeah. Yeah, and, and just sure. one tiny quick riff um, on uh, just an affirmation, rather, of like a part of me wants to say to the listener, especially I know that conspiracy theory, there's a lot of overlap with the law of one community. And I, and I want to affirm that, guys, I'm not, um, I'm not blind. <laughs> To what goes on like uh, for instance our government uh, two major wars the longest war in the u.s history now the afghanistan uh conflict and vietnam both of them are, are, have are documented that officials uh have repeatedly chronically lied about those instances and it it anyway i don't know what my greater point was uh i heard your share stuff uh jim you good to move on sure okay <laughs> so uh, Joseph answered this one though the floor is still open if you have any more to offer on is there any positive value to conspiracy theory uh, Joseph said no uh, <laughs> that's not true no okay that's what I heard, I thought I heard. right I, it may seem that way but I actually think there's some positive value but I'll wait alright uh, Austin what do you think a pretty quick uh, answer and that's sort of what I pointed to earlier and the role it's played in my life is it helps break down the barriers i think to a greater truth um uh, if we look at sort of the indoctrination we go through growing up mm. and when i say indoctrination i don't necessarily mean this intentional indoctrination i really don't think that there's a group of people who sat down around a table and said okay here's what we're going to raise our generation to believe all these falsities and all these like we're going to turn them into these drones um i do think that that energy is there in some way, but I think the indoctrination is just a natural thing that arises from having a culture and a society. But uh, we grow up with this indoctrination and conspiracy theory. Once, you know, something really big comes along uh, and knocks those walls down, it opens us up to realizing that uh, 
we shouldn't believe everything that we're told by authority figures. And it uh, opens up a path for us to um, grow with freedom and uh, sort of choose for ourselves uh, our own relationship to the world. And um, like I said earlier, the pendulum can swing too far in the other way, but uh, in the hopeful view, it will sometimes hopefully swing back and regulate and we land on sort of a comfortable freedom rather than being entrapped by either the system that indoctrinated us or the conspiracy theories that helped to break us free from that system. Look, I'm looking at Jim right now. Something positive about the conspiracy theory? Yeah, if you think there's anything positive. Well, uh, I think if we all hope to be any kind of healers and spiritual advocates on our journey, that uh, it, like any disease, if there's something we could heal, like the prayer St. Francis says, uh, Lord, make us instruments of thy peace. Where there's hatred, let us sow love. Where there's injury, pardon where there's doubt, faith, where there's despair, hope, where there's darkness, light, where there's sadness, joy. It's uh, like the uh, double activated body entities that's coming to earth now. It's a privilege to be here because there's so much uh, dissension and separation and opportunities for service. You know, they're looking at opportunities that we see as, oh my goodness, are we going to survive the... Uh, Everything that's going on, the possibility of war, uh, famines, uh, disease, uh, people separated from each other. And these entities are saying, bring it on, because this is why I'm here. So I guess I'll jump in. Um, it, it, I get that I, I, I communicated the, uh, what, sounded, what may have sounded like uh, there's no spiritual value at all in um, engaging with conspiracy theory. And actually, I think there's there's two major sources of value. Um, Austin touched on one of them, or I say I should say focused on one of them, um, and that's the value in just opening up to possibility. So I think credulity, or having low epistemic standards, cuts both ways. Um, you can be credulous about um, the unorthodox stories that you buy into, but you can also be credulous about the orthodox story that you buy into. And I think we all pretty much start out with that kind of credulity. Our parents and teachers tell us things and we believe them. Uh, so for, in my case, um, digging into conspiracy theory was in fact transformational in just the way that Austin described. Um, it allowed me to, to question more basic assumptions than I had had than just um, does the world operate the way that everyone has told me it operates? I mean, that's the starting point, but then you start to question, as I did, well, is the spiritual order the way I was told it was? Um, so I think conspiracy theory can open us up to uh, even the influence of of the infinite, to open us up to mystery. And I think when when explored with strong epistemic or high epistemic standards, that's effectively what happens is you come to realize that you really don't know what is going on on this planet. At least that's where I am. I don't know what's going on. I mean, I vote because that's the power that I have. 
and maybe it's true that voting doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but it's 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 a way I can maybe make a difference if the the voting story is the true story, um, and and so on and so forth. Right? You you take in all the possibilities, um, you weigh them against each other, discover that the real story is hard to, hard to figure out, and you do your best based on what you know. Uh, to me, that's more or less the appropriate epistemic approach, and surprise, surprise, it kind of matches what Socrates said. The wise man knows that he doesn't know. The second benefit that I think can come from immersion in conspiracy theory is the career benefit. So some people are in fact called to be investigative journalists, and some people are in fact positioned to be uh, whistleblower insiders. And these people are are gonna be crucial to the transformation of our institutions to more fourth density structures. Um, However, if you are this sort of person, then it's crucial uh, as, as, Many of you, perhaps all of you, have already said uh, it's crucial to find some way to stand out from the charlatans. Um, and in my in my mind, the best way to present oneself as credible and appropriately credible um, is to adhere rigidly, constantly, to a standard of transparency and integrity um, through and through. Um, and I think that these kinds of figures are the ones that will become shining lights uh, for the, the truth, whatever it turns out to be. So for those people who are positioned to be investigative journalists, career investigative journalists, and those who are positioned to be insiders, it's very important that, number one, they continue to speak the truth, and number two, they find ways to distinguish themselves from charlatans. Um, so those are the two positives that I see. In immersion and conspiracy theory, the um, Austin's first and your first is the only thing I had mustered in my own consideration of this question. I hadn't produced your second thought, Seth, and that's really brilliant. That investigative journalists and whistleblower insides are going to be play vital roles in the necessary transformation of our in- institutions from non-transparent to um, to the transparency that's necessary for fourth density are the present way that many of our institutions are run are not compatible with the coming density um, according to my understanding of the law of one uh, and I just wanted to reflect a little bit on point one and say like there was a similar sort of operation in my own path what kicked off my own journey of spiritual seeking at uh, 22 years ago when I was 18 um, was a um, an opening of the box that I had inhabited, the realization that the world or even reality itself was greater than, even in contradiction to, in some ways, what I had learned growing up. And uh, difficulty with conspiracy theory breaking down those walls, valuable as it may absolutely be is that it conspiracy theory has a very um seductive value and this loops a little bit back into our previous question 
Um, just want to riff a moment on this idea of its seductive quality. Conspiracy theory can be can have a similar effect that uh, dramatic television can have. It can entrain our thoughts uh, and be hypnotic even because it's it's sensational. It's titillating. It's it spikes the our our um, adrenaline or uh, other hormones and thus um, can kind of. Uh, suck us in, and as Jim said at the very beginning, uh, divert our attention. But anyway, that's what I have on on the positive value. Um, anything more from you three? Not for me. Nope. No. Nope. Seth, you good? Cool. All right. The we've got um, two more, but the the second to final one we may have already touched on, but I'll ask to see if anybody has any more nuance to bring. And the question is, um, does anybody see, or does anybody have anything that's more biographical that they want to share about the role conspiracy theory has played in their own lives and what impact it's had? And Joseph, how about you? Um, not, not really. Uh, it was a stepping stone for me. So I found Ron through David Wilcock, and I found David Wilcock through uh, curiosity about what the what the real story might be. So I was exploring conspiracy theories at the time. Um, the only thing that might be significant to mention is that it was that once I discovered Ra, it, it was pretty quickly apparent to me that um, conspiracy theory research was just a stepping stone. Hmm. That what I was really reaching for was a, a spiritual story and not a um, political story. Ooh, good. Um, I still feel a really strong pull towards the UFO story. Um, that was my big stepping stone. The first wall that came down was hearing Edgar Mitchell, who's a NASA astronaut, walked on the moon uh, telling me, through a YouTube video <laughs> that uh, UFOs were real and I needed to pay attention to the UFO community. And that led me to um, all sorts of wild things, one of them being the law of one. So, um, and I'm still pretty engaged with that. I don't fully have a, a reason besides I just have this heart pulled towards the idea of uh, UFOs and our government's relationship to UFOs, um, which has been evolving in the past few months, too. It's interesting to see the developments. And um, I just have this fascination and curiosity of what people have seen, what our government knows, and all of this. Um, and I do believe that there are some probably nefarious things at play from people in power who... Um, are hiding this from us, but it doesn't really consume my thinking. It is um, far below uh, most other spiritual considerations that I have in my life, but it still plays. Uh, it still has a, a spot in my the garden of my mind. For myself, I would say it, like so many other potentials in my life, was a step along the path. And I traveled that path of conspiracy theories for, I guess, 10 or 15 years. And I can say that I've survived it. 
and <laughs> went on. I think every step along the way um, has been something that I have been able to learn from. And then perhaps as you expand your view of the, your world and the world around you, you begin to um, focus on the things that you think are most important. And this is a part of the path that continues on and has continued for me so that um, the old values fall away when you find the, the shining star in front of you that leads you forward further into love, into light, into unity. So, um, you know, it's a part of the path that I've followed and I'm, I'm glad I went through it and got through it as I have been glad for every other part of my path. Uh, thanks, everybody. I don't think I have anything really biographical to offer here. Conspiracy theory has n never really appeared on this stage of my life in any strong kind of way. I've brushed up against certain ones. I definitely believe uh, certain ones, particularly about uh, events that happened in my own lifetime. But yeah, otherwise... No, it hasn't really been a feature. Um, you get, are we all ready for the, the final question? Yeah. <laughs> sure. That's the kind of excitement I like all to right. see. <laughs> Let's go. Rock and roll. Horse is getting so excited because the next question is metaphysics. Um, actually, this, this final question is where we can get even more metaphysical than we've already gotten. And... The question is, what is the Confederation's take on conspiracy theory? The, the Confederation is short for uh, the mouthful, uh, Confederation of Planets in the Service to the One Infinite Creator. <clears throat> Sometimes which, it's and angels. <laughs> for a time there it was, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that is, uh, has been the, the primary source that LL Research has channeled over the decades that has given us the law of one material and an enormous body of uh, consistent philosophy. So, Jim, what do you think? What's the Confederation's take? Well, uh, they state a couple of places uh, in the law of one. Uh, one of them is on, uh, in session eight, which is probably the most conspiratorial session we've got, we took it out of the uh, books that we published at the beginning because we thought it was so far out. But uh, Don was incredulous throughout the entire session. And when uh, Ross said that not only did we have UFOs, but that some of them were made in Mexico, he said, do you say the United States actually has a manufacturing plant in Mexico? <laughs> and Ross said, I spoke thusly. May I at this time reiterate? <laughs> that this type of information is very shallow and of no particular consequence compared to the study of the Law of One. However, we carefully watch these developments in hopes that your peoples are able to be harvested in peace. I think that's pretty much it. You know, they describe it as a planetary game, and it's not central to the harvest. <laughs> a shallow field of inquiry, says the Confederation. I'm going to hold out uh, last to share mine. Uh, go ahead, Joseph. All right. So I guess I'll I'll wait for the big plot twist from Gary. <laughs> um, here's, here's here's what I have to say. Uh, in the first place, um, I'll have to admit that I did absolutely no research in preparing for this question, uh, and part of that is because I kind of don't care. 
Um, but having said that, I'm pretty familiar with Ra. So I can't really speak to the other, uh, to other contacts since I've never paid attention to what the other contacts say about conspiracy theory. But I know what Ra says. Um, and I do want to echo more or less Jim's point that it's pretty inconsequential. Um, and, and anytime it comes up, Ra more or less says something to that effect. Um, but I also want to talk about Austin's point earlier, which is that to, um, to believe Ra requires you to believe some conspiracy theories, uh, notably the cover-up of uh, UFO contacts with planet Earth. Um, and but I'm the thing is that I'm not sure that's true. Uh, and the reason I say that is, um, and and I'm going to get back to epistemic standards here. My my take on a responsible way to engage with um, the Confederation material, including Ra, is um, each element of the story needs to be subjected to your own methods of testing. Um, so on a metaphysical level, for example, I think it's appropriate to take any metaphysical principle that Ra teaches and engage in a experiential um, testing procedure to see if that metaphysical principle holds true. Additionally, uh, when it comes to the material that Ra says is less important, I think it's also uh, key to keep in mind um, one of the lessons that the L&L group took away from Ra's discussion of alignments, which is that the the shallower or the more um, oh, what was Don's word? Transient? Transient, yeah. The more transient the material, um, the more uh, susceptible the contact becomes to a negative influence. Now, I don't, I don't want to say in any particular place that Oh, Ra got displaced by some negative entity. Um, but I do want to say that based on this judgment about the quality of questions and answers, uh, it strikes me as reasonable to conclude that the most reliable information is philosophical. And the specific details that we get from, from Ra about these various potential conspiracies are not really... They're not just not central to the message. Um, they're also not as not as appropriate to buy into because of this alignment situation. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So, for, so for my part, um, I take what what is useful from Ra, and I shrug my shoulders about the rest. <laughs> uh, so, when it comes to the UFO conspiracy, maybe. Um, if it's true, I wouldn't be surprised. If it's false, that doesn't shake my my acceptance of Ra's philosophy. Um, it's just not important to me. You're going to make me clarify what I said. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> uh, I agree with everything you said. An important caveat I normally add when saying something like that is that if we are to believe that the raw material is as it presents itself, um, which essentially means if we believe that what Ra says is true. And that's both in regards to the philosophical, spiritual information and the practical information. Um, I fall in the same camp as you. 
um, personally, I have, I would say, a spectrum of belief when it comes to not just the law of one, but pretty much anything, but really particularly channeled material. Um, and like you said earlier, there's this dynamic between strength of evidence and strength of belief. And I also have sort of a very malleable relationship with belief itself. I think I don't hold strongly to beliefs. And to me, the most important thing in the law of one is the message of love, unity, spiritual evolution. And somebody could not believe the presentation of the law of one still like if somebody believes that maybe it was just written by a, a person who wanted to share some spiritual truths uh, couched in a weird space opera then um i think it has basically just as much value um so uh, but essentially what i meant when i said have to believe the conspiracy aspects was that if we believe that what Ra was saying is true, then we have to believe that the conspiracy things that Ra said, and not just that, but the whole alien UFO relationship with the earth is true as well. But I'm with you, Seth. If that stuff isn't true, I wouldn't be that surprised. If that stuff is true, I wouldn't be that surprised. So it didn't get you after all rats. <laughs> <laughs> you tried maybe next time <laughs> Austin did, did you have thoughts on the Confederation's take on or was um, that one in the same no that was uh, just clarifying um, I do do you <laughs> you sent me the questions that I asked Kuo before this and I can't remember the date of that session do you you happen to know? October 2018. Uh, okay. October 8, October 18, something like that. Um, somewhere in October 2018. Do you, want, you want me to go and you can find it? No, I'm not going to read it. I'm oh. just going to reference it. Oh, uh, at some point in October 2018, I asked Kuo a series of questions about the value of conspiracy theory. So if you want the Confederation's direct thoughts about conspiracy theory, um, the answers were pretty good. Uh, they're really good. So um, you can find it in there. Um, the general gist of them was basically that uh, even if the conspiracy theories are true, um, there are things in our day-to-day -day lives. This is a part of their answer. There are things in our day-to-day -day lives, the suffering created by those who are you know, maintaining the conspiracies um, that offer chances for us to be of service. And it reminded me of when Don was asking Ra about people who were starving in Africa, and Don said that um, uh, giving them food and medicine uh, was less wise than, or what he was asking, he wasn't saying this, he was asking if it was less wise than uh, giving them information that would help them reach self-realization. And the first part of Ra's statement was, this is incorrect. To a mind-body-spirit complex which is starving, the appropriate response is the feeding of the body. You may extrapolate from this. To me, that means that sharing information, whether it's about conspiracy theory or spiritual truth or anything, is far less important than trying to administer to the needs of a person where they are at that moment. And perhaps what they need at that moment is to hear your conspiracy theory, and that will help them reach enlightenment. But I think for the vast majority of this world, what people need is just love. And um, uh, they, 
sharing of conspiracy theory probably doesn't have a whole lot of uh, room within the realm of how we can serve people. That's just my opinion about the Confederation's opinion. (laughs) (laughs) And about the Confederation's opinion, one should, through whatever way one approaches the Confederation philosophy that LL Research makes available, whether through the front or back or sideways, they should always pass through a disclaimer. And so uh, I'll insert that now. Um, just as a reminder that the Confederation always reminds us that they are not authorities and um, to they always suggest the exercise of one's own discernment when listening to them or reading them. And, um, you know, as Seth said, subjecting their information to one's own, the, the, the laboratory of one's own life, taking what resonates and leaving the rest behind. So that that put out there. Um, I found Carla talking about uh, a talk that Don Elkins gave that's titled Spiritual Significance of the UFOs. And Carla said, uh, Don was thoroughly grounded in the entire range of UFO research up to, but not including, but not including the multitude of conspiracy theories. Damn it. That just undid. Well, (laughs) but not including, I guess he didn't give him much attention, but I could still make my point. Carla said... Maybe she didn't mean to say the not. I'm wondering. Did Don was like thoroughly steeped in conspiracy theory too, right, Jim? Like the whole range, I would think. I really don't have any idea. He never talked about it. Hmm. He began a very systematic effort to study UFOs as uh, beginning in 1955, so... With uh, he with he suspended uh, judgment, and um, his goal was to just amass the information and then then try to distill the truth, um, the signal from the noise, shall I say? But anyway, Carla went on to say, which he did not feel had much impact, conspiracy theory that is, on the area he quickly became convinced was the richest vein of ore in this area of research. Colon the spiritually or metaphysically oriented UFO messages and their implications. So here's uh, someone who, as I understand his, his biography, had, uh, had really looked at the whole landscape, including conspiracy theory, and had implemented um, discernment and a value system that pointed him to, uh, as Austin and Jim were describing, uh, um, spiritual seeking and philosophy as being uh, of a greater value and more important. And look at the outcome of that fundamental orientation. It eventually led him and Carla and Jim to receiving Ra. Now, to a non-law of one reader that will uh, bear little of sense or value. (laughs) But I mean, for those listening to this podcast, they presumably, um, like we do, share a a certain esteem for this material, uh, a certain appreciation for its purity and singularity. And so that connects to... uh, Joseph was talking about this sort of alignment um here i'll just there's a another section in spiritual significance where carla says this is how she learned um about the importance of tuning 
when channeling and when holding a group. Somehow, the mind that revolved around to the mystery of UFOs was also also vulnerable to the sensational and elaborate theories which involve secret governmental and international corporate powers. When I first began to channel in 1974, such questions were very common. It took me several years of experience in channeling and watching how the group energy felt to me to determine to my own satisfaction that, uh, here's the highlighted part, Asking questions about this sort of fear-based specific material was substantially detrimental to the tuning of the contact and therefore to the virtue of the information received. Um, my the thesis is that channeling itself can be something of a microcosm for the spiritual journey itself, a, a small laboratory wherein... Um, what it means to polarize and exercising polarities, sorry for that mouth click, where uh, are, are put on vivid display. So Carla is realizing what has been a hallmark truth for LL research in the conduct of its own channeling, and which is that uh, seeking or rather pursuing fear-based avenues of inquiry will detune a contact that is it's the positive reception uh, will be lost and become mixed with negative information and perhaps even be taken over completely by negative information and my uh, my position is that so too in life as one gives their attention to uh, these fear-based avenues of inquiry uh, and makes more roommates of them or again lets the weeds in the garden grow so too will one um, detune themselves detune the the information that they are receiving from the universe because the universe is always responding to our orientation and our desire providing us information and experiences and catalysts that um, conform to and, and challenge that that orientation, um, but that those streams can be positive or negative, both in channeling and in our own life. And this is um, further emphasized in my favorite go-to when talking about conspiracy theory, and that's it comes from Jim's commentary in Book Five. But uh, before going there, I've been talking for a little bit. So just to mix it up, it's not make me too long. Does anybody have a thought they'd like to riff with right now? Uh, yeah, before you read Jim's quote, I have a one from Ra that you, I think, were kind of touching on a little bit. Um, and Ra's talking here about specific information, but I think that it can be <laughs> talked about in terms of conspiracy theory too, especially in regards to what you were just saying, Gary, it's effect on the spiritual path and our relationship to it. And like I said earlier, I think what we're talking about here isn't necessarily the reality of conspiracy theory, but the relationship to conspiracy mm. theory. Yeah. Um, and Ra is responding to a request for some specific information. And they say, uh, we can only ask each group to consider the relative effect of philosophy and your so-called specific information. It is not the specificity of the information which attracts negative influences. It is the importance placed upon it. This is why we iterate quite often when asked for specific information that it pales to insignificance 
just as the grass withers and dies, while the love and the light of the one infinite creator redounds to the very infinite realms of creation forever and ever, creating and creating itself in perpetuity. Why then be concerned with the grass that blooms, withers, and dies in its season, only to grow once again due to the infinite love and light of the one creator? This is the message we bring. Each entity is only superficially that which blooms and dies. In the deeper sense, there is no end to beingness. Perfectly added. It's one of the two rock quotes I had lined up. I'm yeah. so glad you read it. So essentially, the summary of what that means to me is it's not necessarily looking into conspiracy theories, um, keeping informed or even following a thread and believing in them. It is th the importance that you give to conspiracy theories that brings the um, sort of detrimental effects that we've been talking about for a lot of this show um, that uh, instead concentrating on the love of the creator is uh, more important. Really important point of clarification. Thank you for adding that. Any any more riffing before um, I close this out with the final thought? Not for That's me. Cool. All right. Sounds like I'm clear for takeoff. Um, and I do, too, want to now finally reveal the plot twist that Joseph mentioned, and that's that <laughs> um, we have an insider on the show with us, and it's Joseph, <laughs> except he's a sleeper cell and doesn't know it. So, <laughs> so we're going to activate him now, and he's going to tell us about 9-11. And, uh, I'm not ready. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, stay tuned. Maybe that'll be the next episode. The trigger word is mangoes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm just going to say mango in between every sentence. Now. <laughs> um, when, when the question comes up, I like to uh, say somebody writes us or, or there's a discussion. I uh, like to refer them to what Jim said. There is a fifth book of the Law of One, and it contains uh, most of the fragments that were uh, removed or omitted from the first four books, accompanied by commentary uh, about those particular fragments or about these, the story of the raw contact from uh, Jim and Carla. And in fragment number three that was removed from session eight, um, which is on page 13 of book five, Jim talks about conspiracy theories. Jim writes, uh, Early in the raw contact, we received answers to our questions, which, which fell into a controversial portion of our third density illusion. Almost everyone, at some point within the study of the paranormal, spends some time being fascinated by the so-called conspiracy theories, which have generally to do with the supposedly unseen groups and individuals who are said to be the real powers behind governments and their activities, in the world today. Such theories usually hold that the news reports that we hear and read concerning politics, economics, the military, and so forth are but the tip of a very large iceberg that has mainly to do with various schemes for world domination and which function through the secret activities of this small elite group of human beings and uh, their alien allies, I would add in some cases. The following information, Jim is referring to the fragment, falls into this category and resulted from a follow-up decision Don asked about UFOs and their sources. You will note Don's incredulous attitude. Actually, this is what you were just talking about, Jim. It was session eight earlier in this podcast. You will note Don's incredulous attitude. Also, 
mangoes. You will note Don's incredulous attitude throughout this portion of his questioning. It was our decision to remove this information from book one of the law of one because we felt it to be entirely unimportant and of a transient nature, since knowing it adds nothing to one's ability or desire to seek the truth and the nature of the evolutionary process, whether the information is true or not. In fact, knowing and continuing to seek this kind of information can become a major stumbling block to one's spiritual journey because it removes one's attention from the eternal truths which may serve anyone's journey at any time and places it upon that which is only of fleeting interest and of little use spiritually. A couple more sentences here. Concentrating on conspiracy theories and their participants tends to reinforce the illusion of separation and ignores the love that binds all things as one being. If we had continued to pursue this particular line of questioning, or any line of questioning of a transient nature, we would have soon lost the contact with those of Ra, because, as Ra mentioned in the very first session, Ra communicated with us through a, quote, narrow band of vibration or wavelength. Um, Elsewhere in that quote, Jim describes how, oh, here we go. To ask Ra questions of a transient nature would be like trying to run a finely tuned engine on crude petroleum. Well said, Jim. <laughs> and and again, this um, connects to uh, the parallel I was drawing between channeling and and life itself. Uh, in Ra's, in the case of the Ra contact, that was the white hot of white. I did. Um, can I drop that analogy? Uh, I'm thinking of what like Jung said about Ramana Maharshi. He called him like the white center of white. Anyway, uh, the Ra contact was. Um, a, a, a tightrope of balance, a highly concentrated moment of testing where the, the polarity had to be at its purest and it can be illustrative for the rest of life. And um, finally, I want to read a rock quote where they describe specifically what in their perspective is the heart of evolution. They say, Let us remember that we are all one. This is the great learning teaching. In this unity lies love. This is a great learned teaching. In this unity lies light. This is the fundamental teaching of all planes of existence in materialization. Unity, love, light, and joy. This is the heart of evolution of the spirit. So I want to thank Joseph for um, carving out his time today and considering these questions and lending us um, his philosophical insight into these questions and then turn it over to Jim to um, close us out. We thank everybody for listening. We hope you'll send in some questions for us to consider in future podcasts. We really love being here with you. And we want you to remember from uh, this particular conversation about conspiracies that we're living in a grand delusion, and there's so much that looks like it's real, but the only things that are real is the love in your heart when you open it up and share it with your friends and help to bring each other home. You have been listening to LL Research's Law of One podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can find more from LL Research at llresearch.org slash podcast and bringforth.org. Thanks so much for listening and supporting the podcast. A uh, special thank you to Joseph for joining us today. If you've got a question or topic you'd like 
us to discuss, uh, please send it our way via email at contact at lrresearch.org or by going again to lrresearch.org slash podcast. We love you all and we'll talk with you next time.